Okay, we ready? All right, so Elizabeth has volunteered to read our scripture reading tonight. Um, I just want to say a quick thing about it. It's from the book of Proverbs, which is a book that I rarely have ever even opened. Um, is anyone like really into Proverbs, the book of Proverbs? Eric, nice. Um, what do you like about it? Yeah, exactly. It's fifty. I mean, now I'm now I'm getting into it more. But I I assumed it was like, sort of, just these little quippy, pithy um, proverbs about how to live an upstanding life, uh, a, a sort of theology and philosophy that I sometimes find abhorrent. Which is like, if you do good and if you're obedient, then good things will happen to you. You'll have riches and prosper, prosper and all that stuff. But it's actually a lot more complicated and interesting than that. It's, it's uh, including this part we're about to hear from Elizabeth. You know, you know, what, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I yeah. really like this reading. Oh, I good. Wouldn't have, like, I wouldn't have known about it. I wouldn't have known that it was from Proverbs until I yeah. that it was from Proverbs. <laughs> yeah, and it's sort of like, uh, yeah, in, in the middle of all these, like, um, you know, if you borrow money, be sure to pay it back. <laughs> then you get this, you know. So, so we have um, wisdom personified, sometimes referred to as lady wisdom or woman wisdom. And um, there's different theories about where this figure comes from. Um, there are people who see resonances between it and um, wisdom traditions of other cultures, like. Uh, Egypt, there's this Egyptian goddess Maat, M A apostrophe A T, that's female, um, talked about in similar terms that we're about to hear. Um, possibly Canaanite religion, borrowing from other religions in the region. So, but the point is that Judaism was absorbing other traditions, um, and the wisdom literature, this book, and also Job and Ecclesiastes, is some cool places where we see that interesting cultural mixing happening. So, take it away. Does not wisdom call, and does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries out. To you, O people, I call, and my cry is to all that live. The Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of long ago. Ages ago, I was set up, at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth, when there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth, when he had not yet made earth and fields, or the world, world's first bits of soil. When he established the heavens, I was there, when he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master worker, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in human race. Thank you. So this, this passage, I forgot to mention this before, it comes right after the previous little chapter, which is um, sort of a foil for Lady Wisdom, 
she's sometimes called the strange woman or the foolish woman. And um, I almost don't want to say this because it's sort of, uh, well, what's, what's part of what's inspiring in Sarah and Anne and I have, have talked about, um, about the Holy Spirit and, and the feminine, which um, something Virginia uh, drew out beautifully in her sermon last week. I recommend you all listen to it. It, it holds up well in podcast form as well. Um, is, uh, is, so, so, so here's a text where a lot of um, early Christians uh, found inspiration for the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, which became part of this doctrine of the Trinity. Today is Trinity Sunday. Um, we're all going to get excited about the Trinity. Um, but the, the, the bummer, the, it's, it's, kinda, it's not a bummer. It's just interesting. So we have this wonderful personification, this feminine personification of wisdom who was there at the beginning with God creating the whole freaking world, all of this stuff. Um, it, it's not, it's, uh, I mean, there are, I would argue there are a lot of really powerful women in the Bible, but often you have to kind of like um, look at it from a, peculiar angle to see the power that's there because it's still coming out of this patriarchal culture, right? This patriarchal time. Um, we're still in a patriarchal culture in a patriarchal time, but, but we can talk about it maybe with a little more consciousness. But the, the, the bummer part is that in this chapter before it, you have the strange woman who is sort of the, if this is kind of the gathering together, the summation of like all of, like a lot of like beautiful things about, um, uh, femininity, like motherhood, and, and um, in other parts of Proverbs you see these sort of beautiful, virtuous women's roles kind of encapsulated into wisdom. The previous chapter, ha chapter has all of the negative stereotypes of women kind of all scrunched together. It's this seductress whose business man husband is out of town, and she's there lying in wait to seduce the young man who's like receiving this knowledge in Proverbs. Um, with her fine Egyptian linens, imagine like really high, th high thread count Egyptian sheets, and her perfumes of in her incense, her frankincense and cinnamon perfumes, and she's there uh, to just trip up this young, this young man who the text is addressed to, um, this kind of classic like Madonna whore thing, right, in, in, in uh, the perception of women. So we have, so, but, um, not to be outdone, I, I would argue that uh, there's some really interesting subversive stuff we can do. I'm not going to focus solely on this. This was not only a foundational text for people trying to make sense of the Holy Spirit uh, as a sort of um, way that God is revealed to humanity. It also, if you look at the first chapter of John, you know, John 1, those, those famous words, like, who, know, who does anyone know them by heart? Any Bible nerds? Elizabeth, you were nodding your head. In the beginning, uh, there was the Word, mm -hmm. and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yep. That's great. That's really good. Um, it's like, how many decimals of pi can you? Um, and, uh, and, and, then, and then there's even lines like, um, and through him, the Word, all things were created. Not a thing was created that was not created through him. So it echoes very closely this passage about wisdom. So you get, interestingly, you get Christ um, being this uh, manifestation or it's like this revelation of God that is possibly the manifestation or revelation of feminine wisdom. Um, I like to think of a lot of the things Jesus did in his life as sort of um, 
subversive of stereotypically masculine, uh, like sequestered masculine behaviors, such as like seizing power, um, ruling over. Um, uh, I think Jesus provides a model of masculinity or of humanity that's very different. So the point is, um, uh, we, were, we were talking um, just at the table about how do we view the Bible in this church? And like, for those of you in the Bible group, we talked about this a little bit. Um, but, you know, one obvious thing is we're, we're doing it in community. We're, we're interpreting it together. Um, but also something that if you want to take the Bible seriously, but maybe not literally, is this constant, um, I think, exciting thing where you can read the Bible against itself. You can find these beautiful uh, uh, parts of the Bible that I say cut against some of the cultural uh, biases that are also stuffed in there because it's a product of specific cultures and times. Um, so today's Trinity Sunday. What does this text have to do with the Trinity? I just want to talk a little bit about the Trinity and then I want to open it up into discussion. The Trinity, um, is a part of, it's Heidi, right? Heidi? Yeah. Heidi's visiting. Sorry to out you as a visitor. Um, but Heidi was just telling me how she's really drawn to Unitarianism as, as a theology, and I am very sympathetic with that. The Trinity, which would dif differentiate Christianity from Unitarianism, although Unitarianism originally was a Christian, a branch of Christianity, is this belief that um, uh, God is three in one. You know, Unitarianism was like, it doesn't really make sense that Jesus was God. I think there's one God. Um, Christianity claims somehow that it's monotheistic, but also that God is three. One God is three. And this is a part of, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm talking as some kind of representative of a Christian church, and that's a part of Christianity that still is hard for me. It's still um, a stumbling block or a, a barrier. Um, and... But I feel drawn to it also. I feel drawn to it like a puzzle that needs to be solved. Like it's really, it's like, okay, there's gotta be something here. I mean, such a, over thousands of years, all these councils, people have come up with this like formula. It seems to me, here are the, the, at least two problems that it seems to me um, about it. One is, it seems to narrow God. So it seems to like, whereas I'm interested in sort of, uh, you know, seeing God in other traditions or in, in other things where we haven't traditionally seen God. The Trinity seems to like confine them to like, if you, you have to have this right uh, little formula to really see the truth of God. Um, it also seems to me to um, uh, narrow God in another way, which is to reduce God or faith in God to understanding, like if you understand this formula right, if you understand this equation right, like, like E equals MC squared, then you see God. Like it's kind of like a lot of the problems that I have with religion in general, reducing it to a set of propositions um, that if you don't accept these propositions clearly, you don't get it and you're out. The Trinity seems to be a prime example of that kind of narrowing as well. In addition to um, distancing us from God, it doesn't seem like a lived thing, it seems like a very cognitive, cerebral equation thing, abstract. I think this text, part of the reason why it's prescribed on Trinity Sunday is, for me, a way I can start to see why the Trinity could actually be something 
powerful, not narrowing, but broadening, helping us to see God in more places. Um, whoever put this text together was doing this really cool thing of taking Genesis, where we hear of God creating the world, and kind of doing uh, their own creative spin on it, their creative updating of Genesis. They're saying, there's one line in Genesis um, that, that's sort of a little opening for this, which is God's spirit hovering over the deep. The word for spirit is ruach, which is a feminine word. Um, I'm not always, uh, that's not always persuasive to me because I studied French, and in French, um, uh, vagina is a masculine word and dick is a feminine word. Uh, so like the gender of a word doesn't necessarily, for me, mean a lot, but it, some people make a big deal out of this. Um, uh, but uh, they took that line, God's spirit hovering over the deep, and wrote this whole other account of creation where God's feminine counterpart, the, it says here, created, but other translations have it, um, that word is actually similar to giving birth. Somehow God gives birth, so male God gives birth to lady, lady wisdom, all kinds of gender bending going on here. At the beginning, at every step of creation, there was this collaboration, this relationship that precedes all of this stuff, all of the billions of people who've existed, all the new things that happen come out of this creative partnership. Then in John, we see another version. This person arrives on the scene, Jesus, who's like living this crazy um, uh, counterintuitive way with people, creating communities that um, are not hierarchical, are not based on inside or outside, are based on this radical um, different way of being. Um, we see people doing another creative retelling of creation. They say, at the beginning of all things, Christ was there, the word, logos. They're also bringing in some Greek ideas of divinity, uh, logos as understanding, of syncing our weird brains up with all of reality. This kind of creative thing that's happening um, is, uh, this, this, this taking up of what was before and making something new out of it, for me, that's a way that I can get into the Trinity a little bit. The Trinity is not in the Bible anywhere. Nowhere does it say, God is a Trinity. This came up uh, um, over the course of uh, hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, people would get together and, and try to say, what, do we, what is Christian faith about? all kinds of heresies and people, no, you get it wrong, you get it. Finally, they come up with this, this idea that um, first uh, Christ is somehow fully human and fully God. So God is creator, father, son, and then the spirit is added. And the word that they use, that's, that Greek speaking early Christians start to use, and this takes a little while to get formalized, to, under, to start to understand what this weird triad that somehow one is, is perichoresis. Perichoresis, um, this is the only Greek word I'm gonna use from now on uh, today, is, um, comes from two words, peri, around, perimeter, and korein, which um, means uh, to contain or envelop. 
I had this amazing friend in college named Pippi. Um, was very, uh, very much a free spirit. She was Jewish, and she was part of a, a group, um, uh, a women's group uh, on campus that um, some, women, some men were invited to. I mean, any man was invited to, but I, I would go tag along. And she gave this impassioned um, speech to me and a couple other people once about um, how, oh, this is getting like more raunchy than I expected. I wasn't planning on all this, but um, it relates to perichoresis. She said, why, um, when we're talking about like, to bring it back to penises and vaginas, why don't we talk about penetration? Why don't we talk about enveloping? You know, that's, how, that's like a definition of like, was it really sex or not? Was there penetration? And it's become just kind of a synonym for sex. But she was saying, why is, the, why is the female anatomy the passive one, the recipient of penetration? Perichoresis kind of means a mutual containing, a mutual enveloping. Chorine means to make room for, to contain. So this is a word, um, there's this long scholarly article I read where interpenetration is, is an incorrect understanding of perichoresis. It's this more of this containing, this holding, this enfolding. Um, and that's the word these crusty old church fathers came up with for the Trinity. It's also a word that can make more sense of human experience, I would say, because uh, the Trinity is a mind bender in part because it's so hard for us to understand how you can have separation that's also fully united in part because of the world we live in that, uh, and the culture we grew up in where we are all isolated, separate selves. Um, where seeing how we're one, seeing how we um, might live into what in the Gospel of John they say, that they may all be one, like as my father and I are one, so might we be one. Um, that sort of oneness in multiplicity is very, very, um, uh, hard for us to just natively grasp. The Trinity is saying, if at all we think it's important, this idea that we are, live, we are made in the image of God, we're, we're fractured, we're separated, but we're, um, we're called to live, reflect that image more clearly, we need to have a good image of what God is. We better have an image of God that both reflects more accurately what it really is like to be a human, and also can help us see more clearly how we are called to be fully human. And the idea is that unity that maintains individuality, maintains separateness, that's the Trinity. It's like the Father's not the Son, but they're both God. It's, you know, the, and, and, and I think language of Father and Son needs to be updated. I mean, Creator, Christ, Holy Spirit is, is appealing to me, but there's lots of options. But um, that we need an image like that uh, because it's truer, it's truer. It's like when I was reading Proverbs, um, you know that scene in the Matrix when Neo sees the seek, like the green code behind all of reality. I'm sorry if no one's a Matrix fan here. Um, I sort of think of that. This text is like that. Behind, in, through everything, literally all things, is this secret code of relational creativity that we are being brought into, that we are being 
uh, sort of swept up in, whether we like it or not. We're already part of it um, if we just had eyes to, eyes to see. Um, so I gave those two reasons why the Trinity is weird and doesn't make sense. The couple that reasons why it might. Um, another reason I think the Trinity is a helpful mnemonic device or image for, for God um, is that I started seeing God in sort of beautiful, mystical experiences of oneness of all things. That was for me, that's what God was. God was like on the mountaintop, ah, like radiant beauty and like I'm connected. Um, kind of like this, this beautiful dance of wisdom and God. Christianity says that at the core of all things, um, at the core of God, if you like peel back the surface and look into the code of things, um, it's not just in those soaring uh, moments of the peace that passes all understanding where God is. It's also um, in places of, uh, of chaos, of places of hurt, places like the cross, um, that God is fully there. That that's not just like a little spot um, where God isn't yet and we gotta pave over it with some good godness. That God is fully there, not that God wanted it to happen or, or like made that happen, but somehow um, God is with humanity there. So the Trinity becomes for me a way of helping us to see have not rather than a narrowed view of God as in these high-flying, beautiful moments, um, to see how God is, yeah, in a beautiful sunset, but also in a broken heart, or a um, God is there when we have to say goodbye. Um, it's a helpful device for that, I think, too. And as Virginia, again, footnote hyperlink to Virginia's sermon, talked about the Holy Spirit is this relational, beautiful intimacy part of God that um, is here right now. Amen. I want to I wanna open this up a little bit because I want to hear people's uh, reactions to the text, reactions to what I said, but also um, has anyone here uh, is the Trinity, because at the end of the day, we're a Christian church. We, be, we love people of other faiths. We're open to it. But is the Trinity something that has ever been uh, a part of your life of faith? Has it ever been useful? Is it something like, because I, I want to get down to the level of, of how it's used, how it's lived into. Um, do we, is it like, oh, a nice thing to think about? Or are there ways that it can or has been helpful? Um, I would hate to be asked this question because I would say I'm just now figuring it out, still figuring out what this means. Um, but I think there's something. I want to read one more quote, and then we'll launch into that. It has the word matrix in it. This is from some like guy I don't really know much about, Jürgen Schultz. The center and the matrix of the universe is not a machine or a monastery. It is a dance, a ballet, a perichoresis, an interaction of love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that is so beautiful, so exuberant, so marvelous, that the triune God purposed to create us 
so that we would be part of the dance and participants in the internal fellowship of the Trinity. Could anything be more amazing than that? So that's one way of thinking. So maybe it starts out as a trinity, but now it's like a six billion entity, or however many people there are. We're, we're brought into the dance. So reactions, responses, what do people think? Is the trinity something we should just uh, throw out or talk about once a year on Trinity Sunday? <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> 